great. Um, I mean, I, I felt like, you know, the children's work, Jesus' power and authority. I, I, does anyone want to go there instead of being in here? That sounds, that sounds like a good one. Um, but hopefully also today we're going to look at Jesus' power and authority here as well. Because every time we come to Scripture, we want to celebrate the gospel. And uh, even as we look at the Ten Commandments, which uh, we can think of as being all about the law and everything, actually, uh, it's the gospel that we want to apply to this commandment. So, we've been working our way through the Ten Commandments. And so today, I'm going to read the preface in Exodus 20, verse 1. It says, God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And then verse 14, which is our seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery. So that is the seventh commandment. And that is what we are looking at today. Anyone want to go through to the children's work now? Uh, last opportunity. Uh, all right, because I'm aware that this is a sensitive subject. And I want to say at the outset, and I'll say it again, that it's so important uh, that we look at this through the eyes of the grace of God, understanding that there is redemption through Jesus Christ, there is hope, there is forgiveness, there is healing, there is restoration, uh, there is never, it's never too late. God is always able to turn things around. And so we need to understand that as we look at these things and as we apply this commandment. At the same time, however, I don't want to be too easy on us today. Because this is a high bar. And it tells us in Philippians that we're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. So we should actually have a little bit of fear today. We should have a bit of trembling because God is a holy God. Now, let me just say that as we look at this, this applies, I think, to everybody in uh, the room today. Okay, maybe not uh, the two-year-olds as yet quite, but this applies to single people because the principles we're going to look at today in terms of dealing with temptation apply to everybody whatever stage of life you're in and whatever temptation you face. Even if, we're, if it's not a specifically uh, temptation in the area of, of, of sexual temptation, the principles apply to other temptations that people face. And so for all of us, we can still learn something, I believe, uh, for, for us, our lives today. And um, it does apply also to not just this, the very limited thing of do not commit adultery, but I think behind this commandment is something broader and wider. This is this is. Moses kind of summarizing, but as we read through Exodus and Deuteronomy, we find that they unpack these verses to talk about, actually, it's not just the pure thing of committing adultery that this is about. This is about purity. This is about marriage. This is a, a much wider thing, and, the, and the, the command, do not commit adultery, kind of covers all aspects of this area of our life, if you understand what I'm saying. Um, so this is not just for married people that you can't go and sleep with someone else who isn't your husband or wife. It's broader than that. Now, every commandment in the Ten Commandments contains a prohibition where we're told not to do something. 
But the flip side of that command is that there is a positive where we are encouraged to actually pursue things that are positive, that, that are the opposite of that uh, prohibition. And I hope that that will become clear as we go through this. Now, I, let me just say this. It would be possible, I think, uh, and per perfectly feasible, for somebody in a marriage, for example, to be unfaithful to their partner, even if their partner is a perfect partner, the best partner that their partner could possibly be. A person could still be disobedient and sinful, and the other party innocent, if you like, and that is perfectly possible that that could happen. At the same time, sometimes the reason that somebody ends up being unfaithful is because their marriage is not in a good place and they're more open to temptation as a result because attention hasn't been given to the relationship in front of them. And so I want to say this, that whilst, um, whilst one partner might be unkind and unfair, it's never an excuse for the other partner to be unfaithful. It's ever so important we understand that there is never an excuse for disobeying God. We can't go, oh, well, you know, she really hasn't been very kind to me and she hasn't been kind of uh, spending time with me and stuff. And so kind of it serves her right that I'm flirting with this person at work. No, 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 no. There is never an excuse. You cannot make excuses for your own sinful attitudes or behavior. You can't say, well, you know, it's his fault. He never, he never gives any time to me. He's never, uh, you know, he, he doesn't give me any attention. He never tells me he loves me. It's all his fault. And, uh, and so, therefore, uh, you know, um, I, I, I'm, I'm okay to start thinking about relationship with somebody. Else. No, that's never acceptable to God. However, we do need to understand that this command not to commit adultery contains within it a positive command to give attention to your marriage, to be diligent in your marriage. For whilst I think we need to say that infidelity never um, is excusable, Nevertheless, on the positive side, if we give attention to our marriage, that is going to certainly help in, in keeping us faithful. If we look after our garden, the weeds are less likely to grow. If we tend our garden, the weeds are less likely to take root. So let's have a look at the negative side of this commandment, first of all. Let's just start with the basics. It says here, do not commit adultery, and we know what that means. And uh, I think it, as I say, is broader than just uh, simply somebody, um, you know, being with someone that they're not married to. So let's have a look at a couple of verses. Thank you, Alfie. We've got Galatians 5 and verse 19 to 21. And it says this. The act of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then if we just flip over to Colossians 3 and verse 3. 
Colossians 3 and verse 3 says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, don't lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge and image of its creator. Okay? So we see there that it's a broad definition. It includes lust, impurity, language even. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 3. Ephesians 5 verse 3. Among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality, of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving, for of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient, therefore do not be partners with them. Slightly scary stuff, isn't it? <laughs> the Westminster Catechism asks the question, and I'm going to see if I can read it with my eyesight. I think I probably just about can, right, because um, I haven't written it down here. Um, the Westminster Catechism asks the question, what are the sins forbidden in the seventh commandment? I'll stand here. The sins forbidden in the seventh commandment, besides the neglect of the duties required, by the way, before I go any further, let me explain that having a stew, keeping a stew, meant keeping a brothel. I had to look that one up, um, just in case you're wondering. Besides the neglect of the duties required are adultery, fornication, rape, incest, sodomy, and all unnatural lusts, all unclean imaginations, thoughts, purposes, and affections, all corrupt or filthy communications, or listening thereunto, wanton looks, imprudent or light behavior, immodest apparel, that's clothing, prohibiting of lawful and dispensing with unlawful marriages, allowing, tolerating, keeping of stews, and resorting to them, entangling vows of single life, undue delay of marriage, having more wives or husbands than one at the same time, unjust divorce or desertion, idleness, gluttony, drunkenness, unchaste company, lascivious songs, books, pictures, dancings, stage plays, and all other provocations to or acts of uncleanness, either in ourselves or others. Right. Bit old-fashioned, really, isn't it? Well, yes, but I asked myself a question. Would I rather have that, old-fashioned, biblical, or would I rather have today's culture of permissiveness and pervertedness and twistedness and hook-up culture and just free, casual sex is never free. It's never casual. Would I rather have that, this, 
all that. Has our culture perhaps lost its way? Golly, has it? And is it in danger of losing everything? You bet it is. So we should think about those kind of things. Now, in Matthew 6, Jesus, of course, um, widens the net even further. And uh, with this one, we all come under conviction, as I think uh, Joshua spoke about, if you think a murderous thought, it's a sin. And so now Jesus says in Matthew 6, verse 27, um, Have I got it right? Where am I? Again, somebody, Kate, remind me to bring my uh, reading glasses next time I'm here. Okay. I've got the wrong verse. Okay. Someone help me. Where is it? Oh, it's Matthew 5. Okay, don't worry. It's not up there. That's why I was, that's, it's not my eyes. It's just because uh, I put the wrong verse in my notes. It's Matthew 5, verse 27. We won't worry too much unless you can bring it up. But Jesus said, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. I was talking to someone this week. And he was telling me that he had a friend who went to a Christian conference at a hotel. And there were 600 people booked in to the hotel. And this guy said to the receptionist, could you uh, block all the channels, the, the dirty channels, please, in my hotel room? And the receptionist said, oh, uh, sorry, we don't have the facility to do that. So he said, um, could you take the television out of my bedroom then, please? So she said, yeah, okay, sir, I suppose we could do that. And so they did, and she said, hmm, that's the first time anyone's ever asked us to do that. She said, hmm, and normally when this conference is on, there's an uptick in revenue from this, from those channels. I think, what? Jesus said, it's better to cut off your hand and to go to hell, complete. And I've heard about, it's not something we do massively in this church, but maybe we should a little bit more. There are Christians who will be part of accountability groups. And uh, so, for example, guys might be part of an accountability group. And uh, they get together and they share their sins with one another. Great, good thing. And, you know, a guy goes and says, oh, I messed up this week. I tried not to, but I ended up looking at something on the, on the internet. And uh, the guys are like, oh, mate, well, thank you for sharing. You're so, I'm so impressed that you were able to share today. Well done for sharing. God forgives you. It's, it's okay. Um, and so the guy goes away, and he feels better. Okay, and he feels all right. But actually, he goes back and does it again because... It wasn't really an accountability group. An accountability group would be, mate, you are forgiven. Thanks for sharing. That was courageous. You're probably not the only one that struggles. But what are you going to do about it? 
oh, well, actually, I find working at home on my own is a bit of a problem. Right, what are you going to do then? You're going to work in the library instead? You're only going to work when your wife's at home? What's your action? Jesus said, be ruthless. Take action. It tells us in James chapter 1, verse 13, James 1, verse 13, says, um, there we are, got it. Um, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he's dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Can you see there that there's a sort of process? It starts with a look, and then, it, and then a click, and then another thing, and then, or a conversation, and then another conversation, and or a, a romantic fantasy and a thought and, and then another thought and it grows. It starts by looking at, clicking on that news article about Macron's got a new girlfriend. Right. Oh, let's have a look. Interesting bit of news. Let's have a look at that. Right. Yes. Okay. It starts with that Instagram reel or whatever it is. It starts with that little flirtatious conversation around the at the workplace. It starts with that one-to-one WhatsApp conversation. It starts with being in the wrong place, in, a, in the car with someone or in the house with someone, whatever. I was hearing the other day of someone who said, um, you know, at college, he was a, he was a college minister, and he said, uh, here at college, um, it's winter, and uh, the guys have got no problems at all. There's no temptation going around right now because it's winter. But come summertime, the minefields... Not a lot left to the imagination for the guys. But it all starts, you see, with, with a process. And so Jesus says, be ruthless, cut it off, make sure, take action. And let me just be clear. Temptation itself is normal human life. It's not wrong. I was listening to a podcast a few weeks ago where this um, mum, they were talking and um, they were saying about how, this mum was saying how her her 15-year-old boy, um, so, sorry, no, her 15-year-old daughter was having a sleepover with a bunch of friends, and uh, they were going to stay in the basement and watch a movie, and, you know, they were all going to sleep, sleep down there, and it was all fine. But the, the girl had a boyfriend, and uh, the boy was uh, going to be there as well, and so the mum said, oh, what, what's the sleeping arrangements going to be down there? And the daughter goes, oh, well, you know, um, my boyfriend, he'll be, he'll be in the... In the, in the beds next to me and the same bed, you know, um, and then there'll be this person there and this person. And the mum goes, no, you can't do that. He can't. He's a 15-year-old boy with hormones. He, you can't put him in the same bed as, as you. I know, but mum, he's not a perv, you know. I mean, he's just, he, of course, it, mum, don't be silly. He's not going to be. It's like, well, the boy... This is the confusing message that's going out to, to boys these days. You, you, are, you are evil if you feel tempted. No, no, no. You're, you're just a boy with testosterone and hormones, and it's normal, and it's okay. And it's God's given it to you because it's a good thing because he wants you to um, make the efforts to get yourself in a place where you can get married, preferably sooner rather than later, and raise a family. It's a good thing. 
don't be, don't be ashamed of being tempted. Anyway, um, singles. Um, it's good to get married. It's good to have that as an ambition. Paul says, I think there's a, a verse in 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 8. Um, 1 Corinthians 7 verse 8 says... Um, uh, now to the unmarried and the widows I say it is good for them to stay unmarried as I am but if you cannot control yourselves they should marry for it's better to marry than to burn with passion so marriage is good marriage is God's gift but if you're single you're not um, out of control the Bible tells us that the fruit of the Holy Spirit is, is self-control and, uh, and so, with the grace of God, we can find ways through to avoid temptation. I was with uh, Terry Virgo recently, and he was just saying, every day he prays, Lord, deliver me from evil. Tells us in Ephesians 5, for example, in Ephesians 5, don't get drunk on wine, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. But it says this, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, so things like having too much to drink can lower the defenses. People can be in a place where they are more vulnerable, and you need to know yourself well enough to know what those things are. It says don't get drunk or wine, which leads to abortion. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. The best antidote is to be someone who is full of the Holy Spirit. One way to fight temptation is to have a greater pleasure than the pleasure that's in front of you. Jesus said in Matthew 5, it's not up there, don't worry. Um, Matthew 5, he said, Blessed are the pure, for they will see God. So, who wants to see God? Yeah? So, if you can make a good choice, you'll see more of God. Blessed are the pure, for they will see God. Let me give you an example. If I were to offer you today, over coffee, a thousand pounds, if I walked up to you with a thousand pounds in my hands and said, hey, I'm going to give you a choice. Would you like this right now? You can take it. Would you like a million pounds in two weeks' time? I'm going to give you a million pounds in two weeks. Or if you like, you can take this thousand pounds. Um, well, it's a no-brainer, really, isn't it? I mean, it would be tempting. That would be nice. I could do something in the next two weeks with a thousand pounds. But what's, what's the logical, most rational, best choice? That's something much better to look forward to. A million pounds. And Jesus says, blessed are the pure, for they will see God. The way to defeat pleasure is to have a greater pleasure. The pleasures of God. Joys everlasting at his right hand. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in your house. Lord, being with you. What joy we miss. What pleasures we miss. The way to defeat a lesser pleasure is to have a greater pleasure. And I think God wants to help us. I, 
just mention something quickly. Um, I think at the start of this year, um, someone in the church here was very brave and came out and said they had an issue with, with drink, and uh, they shared and, and said, I want some accountability, and the church were brilliant and rallied around and supported, and it was fantastic and really great to see. But, you know, as a result, other people came to us and said, actually, do you know what? I've got an issue as well. And uh, there's other people dealing with things. And then I was at a leaders' meeting recently where someone came and prophesied to me about, my ch- about our church. And he said, God says, pray that he will break strongholds in people's lives. And he said, that's the phrase I've got for your church. Pray that God will break strongholds. And... I think that's dead on. And I think God wants to bring people into new areas of freedom in their lives. Whatever their temptation may be, it can be all sorts of things. It can be all sorts of issues. It can be to do, to do with, I won't even name them, but anything. It's not just, it's, it's loads of things. God is able to bring freedom by the power of the Holy Spirit. The gospel is good news. It is the power of God unto the salvation of all who believe. The gospel can set us free. The gospel can give us power to defeat temptation. The gospel can forgive us and heal us and start, give us fresh hope and give us a new tomorrow and break patterns and demolish strongholds. The gospel is the power of God. So that's the negative side of this command. But let me just finish with the positive side. Because on the positive side, we're encouraged to give attention to our marriages. And it happens to be that it's Valentine's Day this week. So this is timely message. And it tells us in Hebrews chapter 13. And uh, this is a verse that I've been really living with. Hebrews 13. And it says in verse 4, marriage should be honored by all. And the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. So it says there that marriage should be honored by all. Now, marriage is not honored in our culture. It's not honored because people relegate it to just it's a lifestyle choice. We're living together, you know, one day we'll get married. That's not honoring marriage. It's, it's not honored because people redefine what marriage is. Widen it as if it's not between just a man and a woman for life, forever, as God has said. Marriage is not honored in our culture because people ridicule marriage. Marriage is not honored in our culture because people renege on their promises and don't give attention to their relationships. And we're told to honor marriage. Marriage is to be honored by all. Marriage is a wonderful, holy thing that God has designed to be a blessing. And it starts with a rational thing. There's a, relation, there's a rational aspect to it whereby uh, people uh, have a connection. They can talk. They, they get on. They, there's a rational kind of connection and friendship and soulmate. That's exactly what I would say with, with Kate. Uh, we just love spending time together. We're going on holiday tomorrow, and we just spend three hours in the car. It's fantastic. You just talk. It's great. 
But marriage is also rational, it's relational, and it's religious. It has a spiritual dimension to it. Marriage is not just a contract, it's a covenant. It's communion. It's not just, well, I made a contract. Uh, I went and bought this. Uh, I went to Robert Dias the other day, and I bought myself a, uh, uh, a cast iron pot, and I got home, and Kate took one look at it and said, wrong color. Um, right, I'm going back to Robert Dias then, aren't I? Um, sorry, um, can I return this, please? Oh, sure, yes, sir, of course you can. Contract, it's fine. You can get out of a contract because there's a sale of goods act and whatever. Um, it's not the same with the marriage. It's not a contract. Oh, I've changed my mind, you know. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, it's, a, it's communion. It's, it's a religious union. It, it's, it's a covenant. We're told in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 15 and 20. Uh, I think we've got it there. 1 Corinthians 6, 15. Um, it says... Hang on, where are we? Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a the prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with the prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two become one flesh. He who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality and all other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do, not, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. It's a powerful passage which we could unpack, but we're united with Christ. Uh, it tells us here, if anyone is in Christ, their body are members of Christ himself. So when you, when you sin, you're taking Christ into a sinful situation. But on the positive side, it says that you become one flesh. There's a, this is a mystery. And yet it's a, a gift and it's a blessing from God. Let me just say very quickly, by the way, that despite this, uh, divorce sometimes happens and God has made provision for that in his word. And as a concession to our human weakness, there are occasions when the sadness is that that has to happen. Um, it's not something that anybody wants, and we need to know that. But we do need to know that where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. There is hope, there is redemption, there is healing, there is restoration. God can turn things around. God works for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So I want to be clear that if you're in that situation, that doesn't mean that that's the end. No, God's got a great promise and, of, and future and blessing for you. But marriage is something that Satan hates. He would like to destroy God, but he can't. So what does he do in Genesis? He goes after God's greatest creation. The first sin is man and woman falling out and the blame game begins. The marriage is suddenly under tension. The next sin is Cain killing Abel. It's the family that he attacks. God's greatest invention. If you can't get God, get God's greatest invention. Do you know that when you invest in your family, you're engaging in spiritual warfare? 
When you invest in your marriage, you're engaging in spiritual warfare. So guys, this week, when you tell your wife, when she says, what are we doing for Valentine's Day, dear? You say, well, dear, we're going to engage in some spiritual warfare. See, how, how's that going to go down? She's going to go, <laughs> does, does that come with flowers, the spiritual warfare? Going out for a meal together, doing, having a walk together, lighting some candles, putting the music on. Okay, we don't need to go any further. You know what I'm saying? Investing, that's spiritual warfare. That's what Satan hates. That's what God loves. It tells us in Proverbs 5, you know, delight in, in, in the wife of your, your youth and so on. Actually, it's, it's God. Give attention to your marriage, however old or young you are. I remember um, there was an elderly couple, Michael and Ray Grace, who are members of this church. They've been married for decades. I mean, we're talking, you know, I don't know, um, probably got married before King Henry VIII ever got married. But, and I mean, they would still come in their 80s to the marriage seminars we did. And they still want to invest in their marriage. Wow. And um, that means, for example, let me just finish with a couple of things. You know, in Galatians 5, it tells us, we, we, we read a list earlier of the sins in Galatians, but the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians tells us in, in chapter 5 that there is positives. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Now, there are times when you go to work, all right, ladies, you come back, you are exhausted, you're tired. You have been, you've had the patience of angels all day long with those work colleagues. You are wrung out. You are exhausted. You get in. Your husband is there. Let the guard down. It's okay. It's only him. I've used up my quotient of patience today. I don't need to be kind anymore. I've done that to death all day long. I can't do any more. And she'll, he'll understand. And it says in Galatians 5, it's the fruit of the Spirit. It doesn't say that patience is a natural resource which you run out of, and some of us have got more of it than others. It says it's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me ask you a question. Does the Holy Spirit have a ration of kindness and patience and he runs out? Does God ever run out of anything? Does God not have infinite amounts of patience that he's able to dispense to his children? The fruit of the Holy Spirit is patience. So when you're at the tiredest place, when you're at the most difficult place, the Holy Spirit can give you a supernatural ability to love. It's, it's the gospel. It's not just my efforts and so on. The gospel can transform our lives. The gospel can change everything. The gospel is wonderful news. 
for sinners. The gospel is wonderful news for broken people. The gospel is able to give us power, to change us, to keep us, to get us so that our marriages get better and better. I mean, I, I'm 26 years, and we've always been faithful to each other, and I love Kate more than ever. And uh, I think I've just realized, thankfully, I could say that, and the mother-in-law isn't here to hear me. That's good news. Uh, oh, she is. Oh, bother. <laughs> She's hiding in the corner. Right. Oh, dear. Right. Um, it's true. It's a true story, though. Um, you know, if any of you, Sean, Sean does, she used to be a fire person. Um, she did lots of fire things. She's very good at dealing with fires. Fires, um, fires are very dangerous. If, if you're a fireman, you will, you'll go to a house and advise someone about how to avoid fires, how to put the sprinklers on, how to make sure that the guards are there, how to make sure that there's going to be no fires. You, go, you do everything you can. You take lots of precautions to avoid fires because fire is very, very dangerous. But when a fire is in a hearth in the living room, it's a beautiful thing. It's warm. It's glowing. It, 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 it changes the atmosphere. It's a great thing. When fire's in the right place, it's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. When it's in the wrong place, it wreaks havoc, destroys things, destroys lives, destroys society. But when it's in the right place, folks, let's kindle that fire. Let's encourage that fire. Let's have that fire. And let's allow the Holy Spirit to continue to work in us. Can we pray? Lord God, we thank you that you want the best for us. When you said earlier, Lord, that um, the wounds can be exposed because you want to heal. Lord, if there's been any exposing of wounds today if that's been a bit uncomfortable for anyone Lord we recognise it's only you and uh, Lord we pray that we would just allow you to um, minister your grace to that Oh, Lord, minister your grace into broken situations, into broken hearts. If you know that you just need to receive from God right now, whether it's because of hurt from the past, whether it's because of temptation in the present, whether it's because of challenges in the home, whether it's that you know that there's just... Uh, bit of a dangerous situation, flirtatious relationship that you've allowed, then just right now, allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you. Come, Lord God, I pray for freedom, for it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. In the name of Jesus, I declare freedom from strongholds in any area of our lives. Whatever it is, Lord, you know, I think God's just putting his finger on things. Might be nothing to do with marriage or sex. It might be something else in your life.
God's just putting his finger, saying, here, I'm just bringing healing. I'm bringing hope. I pray in the name of Jesus, have your way. Come have your way among us. As we go from here, Lord, may we know the encouragement and the power of the gospel working in our lives and in our homes. In Jesus' name, amen. Could we sing something? Thank you. If anyone would like to talk about any of these things, please hang around. We'll get in touch.